But uh, I, I love the series that we're in. We've been going for a long time. We started with Abraham in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And we just keep hitting all these heroes along the way, learning some amazing things. Today we're going to talk about Solomon. Um, Solomon, if he, if he could sit down, Solomon was known as the wisest man in the world. No one was like him. God promised that there's no one going to be like you. And, uh, and, and so Solomon, uh, understand that Solomon is the son of David, King David. He had a lot of sons. And, and he, he was uh, the, the son of David and Bathsheba. D- David and Bathsheba was the story where, where David made a, uh, he committed adultery and then he committed murder. And then he married this, this, this widow of the one he murdered so that he could have her. And the first child died and this Solomon was the was one of their children. He is to become the future king. Can you imagine? I want you to imagine. I, here's the deal: is everybody knows David, David and Goliath, right? I mean, if there's an Old Testament story that we know, we know David and Goliath. We've heard it. Um, you could probably be a pure, absolute atheist and still know the story of David and Goliath. Can you imagine being David's son? I mean, I want you to think just for a moment, you know, like one of the things that I sometimes I get concerned with my kids is because, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And so sometimes I'm worried that my kids will have too much expectations placed on them or, or too much pressure and things. But I started looking at that, man, can you imagine being David's son? You know, and you, and you just kind of imagine them, you know, King David, the giant slayer, the greatest king to ever live. Men after God's very own heart, the myth, the legend, King David. You know, I mean, like David was this guy that everybody knew David. Can you imagine taking, being his son in his shadow and then having to step up and be the king? Can you imagine following those shoes, right? Solomon, if he was to teach us something, he would say you could be the smartest man in the room and still be a fool. That's some good stuff right there. Remember that. Not always do, do, do you hit on it, but that is, this is, I started thinking of him, man, this is, this is it. I want you to, one of the things that he did a lot is he, he wrote a lot of, of Proverbs, and he was a man that was known for wisdom. We're going to talk about a lot about being wise and being a fool today. So I want to tell you first what wisdom is. Wisdom is both knowledge and Ability to direct that knowledge, which would be application, that is what it is. So if so wisdom is not just knowing stuff. You can know stuff and not be wise. You can apply stuff without knowing stuff. So here's the, what wisdom is, is you take the knowledge of things and the ability then to take that knowledge and apply it to living, that's what wisdom is. So I really love doing some research about wisdom in the Old Testament Proverbs, and that was the definition it gave. Wisdom is both knowledge and the ability to direct that knowledge towards full application. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is a special capacity that where you can take these things that you're learning and apply them to your life and to your situation. That is what makes you wise. But what good is knowledge if you don't use it? So then I have to follow up. If we know what wisdom is, wisdom is knowledge plus the application of the knowledge to my life, then being a fool is the opposite of being wise. The fool's problem is that they know a lot of stuff. They know a lot of stuff. They, they, you can be very intellectual and still be an absolute fool. Because what a fool does is they have lots of knowledge and intellect, but they lack the practical use of what they know. What makes someone a fool? To have knowledge, but not use it. Thus, you're a really smart, dumb person. That's, that's my lingo. That, that, I, I copyrighted that. Really, really smart, dumb person. All right. All right. So, here's Solomon. God appears to Solomon three times. And God's first appearance to, to Solomon, Solomon was a very young, he was very new to being a king. He, 
He, in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, one of the first things that he does as a king to kind of consecrate his kingship is he goes to, uh, he goes to a town, uh, uh, Gibeon, and there he sacrifices to God. And that's kind of this big, you know, making it all official. So he's sacrificing, he sacrificed, offered a thousand burnt offerings to God that day. Then he goes back and he goes to sleep, and in a dream, God appears to him and says, Ask, what shall I give you? Solomon answers in his prayer, or in his dream, he says, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because we've, he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him. You've given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day, speaking of himself. In verse 7, he says, Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out and to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous, to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. That's what he asks. He's, God says, ask what you want. So, I mean, King David was a warrior. He probably would have said, God, give me victory, right? You know, maybe, maybe some of you athletes in the room, if God were to say, ask me what you would want, God, I want to win, Right? I want victory over my opponent. What, what, what Solomon says is, God, give me wisdom. God, give me the ability to know right from wrong. Woo, wouldn't that be nice, right? If you just knew the difference between right and wrong in every situation, wouldn't that be a gift? And God replies... To him, this speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing and not for long life, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. God is saying, I'm going to make you the wisest person of all times. Huh, that's pretty good. It pleased the Lord so much. Now, here's, what we, here's, here's something that Solomon had wrote. He, he wrote a lot of Proverbs. One of his Proverbs says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. Who gives wisdom? The Lord. The Lord gives wisdom. So what happens is God says, Ask me, what do you want from me? And he says, God, give me wisdom. Because God is the one who gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. In fact, the book of James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. Isn't it pretty amazing to realize that God is the giver of wisdom? He can give you the knowledge and the understanding to apply that knowledge. If you lack wisdom, who do you ask? God. There is such a thing as a God-given wisdom, a wisdom that comes from Him. Now, the speech pleased the Lord so much when Solomon asked this thing, and he says, because you've not asked of these things, right? Because you didn't ask for a long life, and because you, you, you didn't ask for riches, and that you didn't ask for all of your enemies to be killed, I'm giving you wisdom, I'm giving you understanding. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you, like you among the kings of all your days. So if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes, my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Pretty amazing how 
God was so pleased with his answer. Have you ever thought if God were to say, what would you ask of me? Have you ever thought and maybe slowed down your prayer life and said, okay, if God were to show up right now and just say, what would you ask of me? Because let's be honest, a lot of times our prayer lives just become a long list of like a shotgun. We're shooting a whole bunch of things out there hoping something sticks. That's not how Solomon answered that prayer, did he? God says, what do you want? And he put some thought into this. God, if I was to ask anything, this is what I would ask. Could this thought maybe change your prayer life? Maybe instead of us shooting a whole bunch of things and hoping that something sticks, maybe I spend a little bit of time saying, God, what would I ask? Following in 1 Kings chapter 3, but now following forward in 1 Kings chapter 10, there's a description now made of King Solomon. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth. The whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift. Articles of silver, gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, mules. The whole kit and caboodle. Everybody came. They wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. It's like he was famous. Now we're building up an understanding of who King Solomon is because we also got to see how far he rose to see how far he falls. What happens when you become really good at stuff? What happens when you get a lot of money? What happens when you're very successful? What happens when your business skyrockets? What happens when your church is big? What happens when your your ministry grows? What happens when you start getting success? It's pretty easy to start thinking that you're something that you're not, isn't it? It's pretty easy to start thinking, man, I'm somebody. You see, one of the things I underline here is to hear the wisdom God had put. There's a big difference between hearing the wisdom God had put and getting to the point where you think it's your wisdom. Now, God appears to him twice. Second time God appeared to him was answering Solomon's dedicating prayer of the temple. So Solomon did a lot of really amazing things awesome things. He was very smart, of course, right? And he built all these different kinds of things. And one of the things that he did is he built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The Lord responded in, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says this, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down. Can you imagine the whole people gathered to see the dedication of the church? So let's just pretend for a moment we're all outside, and this was the first service ever to be done in this church, and we were all outside praying to the Lord, dedicating this place for Him. And all of a sudden, fire came down from heaven, and glory filled the church. We'd be like, "Woo! Can't wait to see what happens next week! In fact, we're coming. We're going to meet tomorrow. We're just going to see. We're just going to camp out in this parking lot to see what God does next. Am I right? I mean, can you imagine if fire came down from heaven? You're praying and you're saying, God, this is your house. And all of a sudden, his spirit shows up. Wait, we get that every week. God shows up every single week without fail. Here's what I want you to see is that the first thing is God gave him all of this wisdom and he used the wisdom to build things and to fix things and to, and to make the city work. And then all of a sudden he said he had it in his heart, I'm going to build the temple of God. And so he builds this temple. God comes down out of, out of heaven in a fire and the glory fills the temple. Woo! When they all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped God saying, He is good and His love endures forever. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine being the king who was the one doing the prayer and God answered his prayer like that? Can you imagine that? When Solomon had finished praying, jumping down a couple of verses later, he'd finished 
the temple of the Lord in the royal palace, and he succeeded in carrying out all that he had in his mind to do in the temple of the Lord. And in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. All right. Going on in verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name. I want you to hear something. God says, when I shut the heavens. Did you guys catch that? When I shut the heavens. There's times in our life where just like Sister Cheyenne shared is that God put us in a boat and He puts us in a storm. So sometimes we're in a storm. Sometimes we're in a drought. Sometimes locusts come and eat the crops. Sometimes locusts devour the land. Sometimes there's a plague among the people. And here's what he says. When I do this, when you find yourself in the storm, when you find yourself, he says, if my people, we're about to start a conditional promise. If my people people who are called by my name. So how many of you are his people? Come on, give him some praise, right? How many of you call yourselves a Christian, meaning that I claim the name of God, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's I'm called, I am called by his name. If my people who are called by my name, you catch this, will humble themselves, pray Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So what he's doing is he is laying out the condition right here, right now. He says, listen, when bad things happen and maybe they were sent because you had fallen away from the Lord. Have you ever noticed that when you stop going to church, your life starts falling apart pretty quick? Like you go to church and God builds you up and you're like, "Woo, man, I don't need this anymore. And you go out and you start living life and then you stop going to church and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, man, I am a mess. We come back, God fixes it. It's like we just kind of can't. That's kind of, it's kind of a foolish behavior, isn't it? My mentor taught me a really cool song. He says, man, we're stupid. And I said, okay. He goes, it's kind of like the old Band-Aid song. Stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid's stuck on me. And he goes, well, but it's not Band-Aids that we're stuck on. We're stuck on stupid. I'm stuck on stupid because stupid's stuck on me, right? So my mentor sang that all the time. I mean, what an educated. He's a doctor in theology, and that was one of the songs that I remembered. You know, so that's why I'm not a doctor of theology. So I was like, that's a good song. We're bringing that in church. But here's the thing is that we, we, we keep making these, so we find ourselves in trouble with God because we walked away from God. But he tells us this. He built the promise so that we could come back to it. He says, listen, when, when your land has been devoured with locusts, when the plague is upon your life, when the storms come, here's what you do. If you are his child, you humble yourself. Start there. You humble yourself. Then you start praying again. Huh? Come on. And you seek his face. And you repent of your sin. He goes, then I will hear. See, it's then. It's after those things. After you do those things, then I will hear from heaven. Catch that? He didn't hear from heaven first. He says, man, when you humble yourself and talk to me, and seek me, and turn and repent from your stupid attitude, then I'm going to hear you. I don't know if I'm supposed to say stupid in church, but I did. It's too late. It's, all, it's on the internet. So, Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen to that. I love that. I'm going to hear your prayer. That's, that's one. I want to be heard. I'm going to forgive your sin. What's greater than that? That sin that you're piling up, the sin that I'm carrying around, I'm going to forgive you of that. And I'm going to bring healing. Have you ever noticed the scars and the damage that sin does to your heart? Have you guys ever figured that right? You guys know that, right? It hurts and it hurts and it hurts other people. Forgiveness starts that healing process. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. This is, this is what, this is like when you start looking at this, like, wow, man, this is amazing. King Solomon, man, you know, God showed up and he said, ask anything. And he gave you wisdom. He gave you riches. He gave you honor. Everybody looked up to you. You got to build the temple of God. He shows up in fire when you prayed. Man, God is with this guy. Would you not agree? God is with this man. 
But how do things that are so good turn so bad so quickly? Have you ever noticed that, that you're really walking with the Lord one day and it's all amazing and you feel him moving in your life and you feel God changing, he's answering your prayers, you're so close to God and then one day you wake up and you're like, I don't even feel God in my life right now. Has that happened to anybody? How does it turn so quickly? How could a church be on fire one day for the Lord and then a year later all of a sudden they wake up and God's not even in the house anymore? We talked about that in Sunday school this morning a little bit. See, God has been moving at this church for years. But I don't want you to ever assume that that is just a given or take it for granted. The moment we stop humbling ourselves, praying, seeking the face of God and turning from our sin, His presence can be gone just like that. So where did it go wrong? Now, you don't even know that it's went wrong, but I'm just telling you, I'm giving you a little fourth step. I'm just letting you know that it goes very wrong with King Solomon. He had all that knowledge. He had all this wisdom, this knowledge. God gave him all the knowledge in the world, and he didn't apply it to himself. You can be really smart for everybody else and not apply it to your own life. Have you ever found somebody that you're really good at teaching others what you can't do? That's, that's Solomon. He had all this wisdom and he didn't take it to himself. So, and according to 1 Kings 4.32, Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. You thought David wrote a lot of songs, so did Solomon. And he wrote 3,000 proverbs. One of the things that I wanted to, to, to encourage my class this morning, and I want to share that with you, is this. A proverb is not a promise. A proverb is knowledge that can be used practically in your life. But it's not necessarily a promise that God says, if you follow this, it's going to be just like this. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. I've had a lot of parents say, Daniel, I don't get it. The Bible says, raise up your child in the way that they will go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. That is a proverb, not a promise. It's telling you that you should, wisdom would say, raise your child in the ways of the Lord. But guess what? Ultimately, that child has to decide for themselves whether they will follow the Lord when they leave your house. So it's not a promise, it's a proverb. Let me ask you this question to follow up, though. Are the chances of your child following the Lord when they leave your house greater if you raise them in the Lord or not in the Lord. You see what I'm saying? So wisdom would say, raise your child in the ways of the Lord and they will stay with the Lord. That's wisdom, not a promise. So when we say, well, the Bible says this and it didn't happen. That wasn't a promise. That was a proverb. A very good proverb. But it was a proverb nonetheless. So what good is knowledge if you do not apply it? So here we go. Ready? So 1 Kings chapter 10 says how great Solomon is. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, usually that's not a good sign when the Bible says however. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sibians. And the Hittites. All right. They were from the nations which, about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must marry. What? Did I miss something? What? You must not. Oh, yes. Must not. Must not marry. Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. So God is giving a specific commandment. Now, Solomon is the wisest man in the land, right? Smartest man in the room. Did he have access to this commandment? Did he have... That was in Exodus 34, by the way. It's tied to the Ten Commandments as well. And in Deuteronomy, you can find the same thing said in Deuteronomy. And it was repeated over and over and over, actually, through numbers and every... actually. All of them. It's everywhere. So did he have access to that? Just saying. 
He knew this. He's a smart man. He knew this. Nevertheless, that's another word. I'm like, ugh. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to love to them in love. He had 700 wives. Grady, one. Okay? One. 700 is a lot of trouble. I mean, men, one wife is trouble. One. I mean, mine's awesome, but one. Whew. Am I right? I thought this guy was smart. I have 699 reasons to say he's an idiot. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. It was just a joke. I'm kidding. So here's, I'm just teasing, really, seriously. So here's the deal. He married 700 women, 700 wives. And he had, that wasn't enough, so he had 300 concubines. That was women that weren't noble enough for him to actually marry, but he just kept on the side. 1,000, over 1,000. 1, you could go on a different date with a different girl for three years. You know, whew. okay, as Solomon grew old, he probably aged quickly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, ladies, you did learn a lot about forgiveness and, and mercy and compassion in the conference this last weekend, so I can get away with a little bit of this. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I, I will say that, that, that my being married is the most amazing Amazing and frustrating. Like you, it's like a roller coaster. Like, whoa, this is great! I can't stand this. But there's nothing. Like, here's the thing: is, is even in our worst days, even in our worst days, there's no one else in this world that I would want to share my life with. Because that's what marriage is: is you're sharing, you're sharing life with the most frustrating exuberating, amazing person you know. It's like all of it. It's just like, it, it keeps things interesting and fun. And roller coasters are not supposed to go like that. They're like, wow, yeah, oh, you know, so. And the twisties and the turnies. Okay, so, anyways. But here's what happened. As Solomon grew old, his wives, just like the scripture said, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Did you know the top three reasons for divorce? I bet my daughter knows. We just had this conversation the other day. Do you remember them? Don't put you on the spot. You don't remember them? See, my teaching is not very good, guys. So, number one, finances. Not, not, this is not in order. This is just the top three. One of them is finances. The fighting over finances. Another one of them is, um, is um, sexual immorality. One of the top three reasons for divorce is because your spiritual morals don't align. Out of all the divorces in the world, the top three, one of the top three is that your spiritual religion, religious views don't align. Do you think that God knew what he was saying in the book of Exodus when he says don't intermarry? Don't marry somebody who doesn't share the same values as you doesn't matter how incredibly good-looking they are, okay? It doesn't matter if she's smoking hot. Okay, now, so here's what happens. Now, here's, you don't want to hear the saddest part about this whole thing, so he, here, here he's, he, his, his, his heart went away. Here, here's the, the, the worst part of the whole thing is he wrote a whole bunch of Proverbs about this very thing. In fact, he wrote a bunch of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs to his children, his sons. He says, son, to his sons. He sent wisdom to his sons, and he didn't follow it himself. Wisdom will save you. Also, from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who left her partner from her youth, ignored the covenant she'd made before God. Surely her house leads to death, her paths to spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. This is what he wrote about this before walking down this road. Then he also writes... For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife, 
from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captive, captivate you with her eyes. Is there something in your eye, those big long lashes? They get like, like a tree branch. I, they didn't captivate me. I mean, it almost captured me. I had to like get a chainsaw and whack some of those things off, you know. But anyways, with her pervasive words... She led him astray. She did seduce. So he wrote, what I'm wanting you to see is this is not an attack on women, ladies. It's not. What I'm wanting you to see is that in all of his wisdom, he's warning his sons about following and getting caught up into the seductiveness of a woman. And yet, that's what he did. He didn't listen to his own advice. And thus brings us the third appearance of God. So God appears the third time. Wouldn't you think that if God appeared to you once, that would have been enough to keep you on the straight and narrow? Don't you think that when the fire of God came down on the temple, wouldn't that have been enough? I think that would have been enough for me. When I saw the glory of the Lord all around the temple, and we're all as a church falling down on our faces saying, glory to God, you know, your love endures forever. Don't you think that would have been enough? But I want you to understand, isn't it also pretty easy to find ourselves where we're not supposed to be? You, you love the Lord, and then you made a little compromise here, and you made a little compromise there, and you made another little compromise. Youth isn't this easy. We find that little compromise, and all of a sudden you find yourself walking down a road that you did not want to walk down. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had been turned away from the Lord, and he said, and, and, and the God of Israel who appeared to him twice. Although he f- had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, right? Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to some one of your subordinates. Right? And this is this kind of way it, lo- it looks like this is the end, right? I mean, he was doing really good until he wasn't. You know what? I want, I want, if there's something I would interject here is that it's maybe you've fallen away from the Lord for a long, long time. No matter how old you are, it is not too late to turn back to God. Because I love how Solomon's story didn't end here. This wasn't his end. What's really amazing is as he got really old and he saw, he looked back over his life and he saw that all the chasing the women where it got him. He saw where all the money had gotten him. All the, the pride and all of his, his achievements and his success. He looked back over his life and he found his life lacking. So what happened is, is he did all of this work and he did all of these things. He, he got to the very top. And when he got to the very top, he looked over his life and says, man, I messed. I missed the point of it all. You could live your whole life and then one day look back and you say, wow, I missed the point. And so he writes a book, his last book called Ecclesiastes. It's like an autobiography. And here's, what he, here's how he starts his book. <laughs> meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and it sets and then it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning. This is a man that looks back at his life and says, what was the point? Have you ever looked at your life and you said, what's the point? Have you ever gotten to a point to where maybe you thought your life had become meaningless? Anybody ever been there? All right. And here's the thing is he looked back and he says, man, I, what is the point of it all? Now here's, he goes on further. This is chapter one. This is verses one through five, six. And now in chapter two, he says, and I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. I'm going to find out what's good. But that also proved meaningless. Laughter, I said, was madness. And what good or what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine. I'm going to go party it up. And embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. 
Chapter 2, verse 4 now. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens, parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and, 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 and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned herds and flocks more than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquire male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this my wisdom stayed. I became greater than everyone. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, hence 1,000 wives. He denied himself nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained. He denied himself. I want you to picture this. Hold on. Understand who Solomon was. Okay? He's the richest man at that point in history to ever walk the earth. He owned not just one house, but as many houses as he ever, however many he built. He owned parks. He's the kind of guy that owned the, the island. Right? He... He, he was popular. Everybody traveled the world. Remember, everybody wanted to sit down with King Solomon. Everybody wanted a piece of his wisdom. He was popular. The ladies liked him. Or at least they married him. He's the greatest man in the entire world and he lacked nothing. And yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and all of what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Have you ever... Well, we'll get to that. Hold on. Hold that thought that you don't know what it is yet. Verse 17, chapter 2. Ah, so I hated life. Because all the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled under the sun because I must leave them to the one who he's like, I worked all of this. I did all of this and I'm going to hand it off to somebody else. And I don't know if they're wise or a fool. I don't think he was a very good parent because I mean, as, as a parent, I hope I have something to leave my kids. <laughs> So my heart began to despair over all the toilsome labor under the sun. For a person my, may labor with wisdom, knowledge, skill, and then must leave it, leave all they own to another who has not worked for it, not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain, even at night. Man, this is a depressing dude, Right? He's looking back over his life. Now, I want you to, to follow me here. He's the guy who's, who, who had all the money. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I get this raise, then I will be more happy? Has anyone ever said that in their life? If I could just get this raise. Have you ever said, if I could just get this job? Come on. Come on. Don't make me raise my hand by myself. Have you ever looked, if I could marry that person? Nobody wants to claim that except for two. All right, Jared. Thank you. Man, if I could just get that girl to like me, if I could get that boy to like me, what we do is we walk through and we like, if I could just, and you could fill in that blank, if I could get that job, if I could buy that horse, if I could, not a horse, house, if I could get that, if I could get that horse, for, for, for Jeff, that's, he's like, forget the house, I want the horse. But I want you to start thinking what we do is we try to play the Solomon game. If I could do this, I'll be happy. Remember Solomon said, I denied myself nothing. He tried the booze. He tried the party life. He tried the women. He tried the houses. He tried the money. He tried the popularity. If I could just be popular and everybody liked me, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. 
Because happiness doesn't come from success. Happiness doesn't come from money. Happiness doesn't come from a spouse. Happiness comes from God and God alone. Solomon has so much to teach you, young people. You who are, who are getting started in your life. You who have young families and you're sitting here thinking, if I could just, then I'll be. Don't walk down that road. Solomon had it all. Had everything and still wasn't happy. And how he finishes the entire book, the very last chapter and the last verses of Ecclesiastes, he says this. Now all has been heard. It's like, like 11 chapters of depression. So I, I, I spared you all of that. We get to chapter 12. He goes, now that all the depression, all has been heard, here is the conclusion to the matter. Fear God. See, what happened is he forgot about God as he was chasing women and pleasure and wine and all the parties. He forgot about God while he was chasing success and pleasure and achievement. He forgot about God when he was running after his hobbies and running after a boat and running after fish and running after deer. He, when he, he, he started, he, God became second point to him. And all of a sudden, he woke up one day now, an old man, he looked back and he goes, man, all this chasing after the wind, it got me nowhere. Fear God is what, he comes to the conclusion, what's life all about? God and His commandments. It's the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, good or evil. He's saying, man, God is the whole point and I missed it. If he was as an old man looking back, if there's a lesson in it for us, we would look at him and he's like, man, I was the smartest, smartest man in the room and I was a fool because I missed the whole point. God is the whole point. So I want to leave you with a New Testament verse. When you start thinking about all of this thing and you think about this wisdom, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. You remember, what's the difference between a wise person and a foolish person? The wise person says, I'm listening and I'm going to do that. The fool, I'm listening, I'm doing whatever I want to do. So who are you? Are you wise or are you a fool? The only separating factor between wisdom and foolishness is the application of what you both know. Isn't that amazing? It says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. You're, when, I, when I don't, when I'm listening and I'm not willing to do what God's word's telling me to do, when I'm not willing, I said, no, I'm not doing that. I have now deceived myself. I mean, has any of you ever been deceived by somebody else and you didn't see it coming, right? They, they deceived you. And you I mean, the whole, but when you deceive yourself, you know that you're lying to yourself. And you still bought it. Come on, right? So he's saying, don't lie to yourself. You should know better. Don't lie to your, When the Word of God says love, then you love. If it says forgive, you forgive. What he's trying to say is, listen, if you really want to be a person chasing after God, you want to be someone who's wise, listen, learn, and do. So what are we listening to? You know, and I start thinking about all that Solomon had done. And I start thinking about how we all chase after. I remember a little video that I was watching. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm on my last slide, so we're, we're, we're done outside of this. I remember this video was talking about, it was a funny video about tithing. And it was all the excuses people have not to tithe and not to give. And, and, and this one guy was like, well, man, you know what? If, when I get a better job, I'll give better. And when I, when I have more money, I'll, you know, and what they were doing is they were using, like, God, if you give me more, then I'll give more. And sometimes I start looking at it. Isn't that how we, we do everything? God, 
Right now I'm really busy, and when I'm not so busy, I'll start serving you. God, when I, when I have a better job, I'll give more to you. And what we do, start doing is we walk down the road of where we begin to compromise. He had everything, and he didn't do anything with it either. If you're not doing something with a little, you're probably not going to do something with a lot. See, one of the things that we have to learn in our life is I need to be faithful with the little before God gives me more. So are you faithful with the little? Are you faithful with the little time that you have right now before you ask God for more? Are you faithful with the little bit of money that you have, with the little job that you have, with the little family that you have before we start asking for more? Are you faithful with the little? Or are you going to play it like Solomon and keep chasing after all the things that will never truly give you happiness and joy. When you're a teenager, you, the hormones hit you. And you chase, you're chasing the girls. Girls are chasing the boys. Everybody's chasing each other. It's like a big game of tag. Everybody running from everybody, but everybody's chasing everybody, Right? And you think that if I could just catch that girl and she'd be mine, I'd make you happy until you caught her. See, God is our great creator. God created you. And as your creator, he puts something inside of your heart that yearns and wants him. And you will never find satisfaction in life without him. So whatever you're chasing, whatever you're chasing, I remember my mom when I was a freshman in high school said, Daniel, what do you want to be known for? And I remember as a freshman, I looked up to all of those seniors that were so good at football and they were great at all the sports and everybody thought they were so cool because they were good at sports. And I said, I want to be one of those guys. I want to be the best. I want to be the best at football. I want to be the best at track. I want to be the best at wrestling because I wasn't any good at basketball. I want that. That's what, if I died and, they, and I died right now and everybody's looking at me in my casket, I want them to say, man, that was a good athlete. That's what I wanted as a freshman in high school. How foolish I was. So I became a senior and my mom, I don't know how she remembered, but she came back and she said, hey, have you ever thought about, is that still now that you're, now that you had accomplished all that you wanted, is that still what you want to be known for? I'm like, no. I want everyone in the school to think, man, that guy was, he was funny and he was nice. He was nice. I liked being nice to people. I know it was never mean or I was funny and I was class clown, but I'm like, man, that I was, that, that everyone would like me and that I was funny and I was nice to everybody. That's what I want. If I died right now, that's what I want everybody to walk by and say, man, that dude was funny. He was fun to be around. He was a nice, he was a good friend. And then as I be- surrendered to God my whole life, When I really gave my life to God, all I really cared about that people would know is that I loved him. Like right now, if I died and everybody walked by and said, man, that dude loved the Lord. That's all I want. I started off so foolish. I started off so foolish because I lacked understanding and I didn't have very much wisdom as a young person. And my life kept growing and developing and changing. So my When I started chasing after God instead of sports and instead of girls and instead of being a class clown, when I started chasing after God, it changed everything. And and I was good at sports. I was good at all of those things. And yet they never brought fulfillment. But when I chased God, I'm completely fulfilled. And my wife is a bonus. She doesn't fulfill me. My kids don't fulfill me. God fulfills me. And that's where we need to leave these doors today, that God is what fulfills you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Here's the deal. If you've been chasing, if you're chasing things that you don't need to be chasing, it doesn't mean that what you're chasing is automatically bad. But if you're chasing a career, 
You're chasing after success. You're chasing after popularity. Maybe you're chasing after the girls or after the boys. Maybe you're, you're chasing whatever you're... If it's not God, I want to challenge you to lay it down today. If God is not the absolute center of what you're chasing, would you lay it down today? Or are you going to keep chasing it until you finally caught it and it still doesn't make you happy? To be wise is to be, though you're young, to see the wisdom of saying, okay, this thing isn't going to bring fulfillment to my life. I can apply that. God, I want you more than anything. I wished I chased God when I was younger. I wished I chased God when I was young like I do today. If I was wise when I was young, I would have. So guys, I'm asking you right now, is there anything right now you're chasing? Maybe you're chasing a promotion. Maybe you're chasing a job. Maybe you're chasing whatever it is. Is there something? Lay it down. Do it now. Right now. God is all you need. He's all you need and really at the center of everything, He's all you really want. Maybe there's some sin in our life right now that we need to let go of and say, God, I've been chasing after the sin. I know it's wrong. I'm done chasing. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you haven't surrendered over to God. Maybe there's a, a hidden compartment in your house say God I don't you're, you're, you're able to be everywhere but here maybe there's some areas of your life that right now you need to surrender over to him when we walk out of these doors God I'm chasing you God I'm chasing you